This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the bandits fall as the rock begins to heat up. Georgia and Calgary get much needed wins, and we'll speak with Jesse King of the Roughnecks as they get set to play two key Western Conference games. We've got box bets and our mid-season awards. All that more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League Action. Matthews quick stick. Are you kidding me? By Dylan Ward. I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh wow. Claire right down the middle, shoots and he scores! First NFL goal! Sam Claire makes it 2-1! Schreiber on rookie mode. This is a joke. 
Jericho get their revenge and hand Buffalo their first loss of the season. Toronto with a dominant 12-10 victory. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. Another wild week in the books. And man, we have got another one ahead of us. My name is Teddy Jenner. He is Pat Gregoire. How are you, my friend? Doing good, man. A little bit sad, like realizing that we're at the midway point. Um, That means we're halfway done through the season. But that's just like the unofficial halfway point because so many teams have a lot of games left. So I was sad when I thought about that. But now I'm excited because the, the back half of this season is going to be electric with how tight the East and the West are going to be. And we're going to see a lot of doubleheaders. And that means a lot of meaningful lacrosse. He's at P. Greggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at OTCB podcast. We will get you our midseason awards. We'll talk to Jesse King. And of course, we'll give you our boosted parlay. Man, we have been taking a beating over the last few weeks. So we're going to try to get you back on track and help uh, get your weekend started off right with our cool bet boosted parlay. Don't forget, if you want to look your best uh, out on the street or at any social event, make sure you head over to nllshop.com or fanatics.ca. Get yourself an Every Child Matters t-shirt. Maybe pick up some new Panther City swag. Maybe you want a little purple touch of the seals. Maybe a purple of the war or the Halifax Thunderbirds. I don't know. Maybe you're a purple fan and you want all three. But fanatics.ca, nllshop.com where you can get all the latest NLL gear. All right, Patty, um, we don't want to spend too much time on last week's games because mm-hmm. by the time we're all listening to this, it's Thursday. Those games are in the past. We'll touch on a bit. We won't go too deep. What was maybe the game of the weekend for you? Game of the weekend? Oh, God, this is tough. I thought there was a lot of really, really big games I'm going to have to say the biggest game is the fact that we saw the Buffalo Bandits, you know, catch their first L mm-hmm. and the Toronto rock look like they are the Toronto rock that everyone was kind of anticipating on seeing um, the defense is humming. The offense is really starting to roll. And I think that's because there's some consistency in that lineup. And then of course, Nick Rose is back to playing like Nick Rose. So I don't think the bandits are at any point, you know, hitting the panic button, but talking to some of those players throughout the week, they not like they saw the writing on the wall, but they were saying, you know, the last few games we, yeah, sure. We won. um, But they weren't overly pleased with the way that they were playing. And they said that, you know, if it wasn't for Matt Vince, you know, standing on his head, we easily could have lost a couple of games Mm -hmm. before this. And you could probably argue that Matt Vince didn't have his best performance. He still was good. Um, but he didn't steal a game, and and that's exactly what happened. I think the game for me is the fact that Rochester beat Albany again for the yeah. second time and put up a big number against that Albany defense. And if if Rochester can play that way every weekend, they are far better than their record shows. But I don't know if Hazen has some secret formula for those Albany games or what, but you know, this is a Rochester team that's sitting at two and, or sorry, at three and five 
But if they're putting up 15 goals a game against one of the best defenses and goalies in the league, they should be better than that. So I think this is a huge confidence builder for the Rochester Nighthawks going into the next few weeks. Like you said, they're going to have, you know, some busy schedules down the road. So uh, a big win for them. But it all started Friday night. Calgary knocks off Colorado 9-7 in their second game of their home-and-home series. Uh, That's a big win for Calgary. We're starting to find some mojo. Vancouver puts a whooping on Saskatchewan, 13-7. We'll talk about it later on, but it's starting to get desperate times for the rush. Um, They are teetering on that tipping point of that P word that I won't say. (laughs) But we're getting Uh, You mentioned the Toronto Buffalo game. Toronto beats Buffalo 12-10. Dad Schreiber goes off again. Uh, Georgia beats New York 13-11. We all kind of thought that was going to be a game. New York kind of turned the tide Mm -hmm. and got win number two, but the Jura Swarm aren't going to go down that easy. We talked Rochester, Albany. San Diego holds Panthers City to four. Frank Giuliano has done that now twice. The Seals have won six in a row, and if it wasn't for Mitch Jones going ham, in that fourth quarter in game number one, that could easily be seven and zero. And then on Sunday, you were there in front of nobody for the last time. <laughs> Halifax beats Philadelphia 10, eight, um, a big win for the T-Birds, a tough loss for Halifax, but maybe the biggest news across the country here in Canada is that regulations are starting to rescind. The Thunderbirds can go home. The rock can have fans. The fans in Alberta can eat and drink. It's starting to feel normal again. Nature's nature's healing. Nature's uh, you know healing. the 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 rough house can be rough again. And oh. like you said, the the nest. Like I mean, I I really do feel for that fan base. Like they mm-hmm. they were so hungry to get professional sports into their market. Well, they got that a couple of years ago. COVID nineteen put that on pause. The season starts again. Then it's taken away. But I think a lot of fan bases, you would be worried if they're going to come back. But with the infrastructure that Kurt Styers and his entire staff with John Catalano, uh, Tyson Geick, Charlie Grusa, just to name a few, like they have an absolute wagon of a front office and media team there and ticket team. They've been working so hard to stay connected to that fan base while they're gone. I think they shouldn't have any problems, um, you know, bringing those fans back into the building. So that's kind of week 11 in a nutshell. We head to week 12, starting Friday, Albany at Buffalo, Vancouver at Calgary. Those are your respective ESPN and TSN games of the week. Saturday, Georgia at Halifax, Toronto at Albany, Saskatchewan, Colorado, Calgary at Panther City on Sunday. We'll get into all that um, later on in the show. However, we are halfway, so let's just hypotheticals. If the season had actually ended today, this is the way the playoffs would shape up. Buffalo would take on Albany in the 1-4 Eastern matchup. Halifax takes on Toronto in the 2-3. San Diego takes on Philly in the 1-4. Philly has the better record than the fourth place West team, which is Saskatchewan. And then Colorado would take on Vancouver in the 2-3 game. How do you like that playoff? If it started today, I absolutely love it. I think we're getting some great matchups. I think when you look at Buffalo versus Albany, although Albany in the last few games have looked more of like an offensive team, they're a team that 
you know, they're most comfortable when it's a low scoring game, when they're pushing the ball in transition. And then when they're scoring the opportunities, when they arise, Buffalo, high flying offense, all those pieces up front, great matchup, Halifax, Toronto, anytime these two teams have met, and I know it's been a small sample size, but they've been great games. There's a rivalry already brewing there. Um, San Diego, Philly, the crossover is obviously very interesting. Um, but when you look at the two teams here, San Diego, you could argue is the best team in the league right now. Philly, we haven't seen the best out of them, but with that team on paper, with that offense on paper, if they can figure things out, they're a team that will be able to go goal for goal, for goal with San Diego. And then Colorado, Vancouver. I mean, we've been treated to some crazy games with them so far, and I think they match up quite well. So every single matchup is intriguing to me. Is there one that kind of stands out more for you than one of the others? Uh, like Halifax, Toronto, I think would just be absolutely dynamite of a series. Um, but I said this on coast to coast this week uh, for my hot take is that there won't be a crossover team. The West is going to figure it out and we're not going to need, so I said the fourth place team was Saskatchewan. It's actually Calgary in the West, but I think Calgary is going to figure it out and Saskatchewan still has time to figure it out. So I don't think we're going to see that crossover team, which makes that battle for fourth in the East that much more important. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it stands, yeah, I think Halifax Toronto is just, uh, just a real juicy matchup there, obviously with all the connections of the guys in Ontario, um, you know, Halifax used first Ontario as a home for a couple of games. Um, I just think that that would be an absolute dandy, but all four of those matchups would be a ridiculous watch. And don't forget the first round of playoffs is a one game elimination. And then the conference finals and the league final are best two of three. So you better have your A game for that first round matchup, or you could be out before you know it. Um, but as we said, it is halftime. And I know I got a few years on you, Patty. Um, and I may have enjoyed, enjoyed the Super Bowl halftime show a little more than you. But how did you like the whole extravaganza? It was the best, best halftime show I've ever seen. Uh, I think before that, you could argue the Prince halftime show was was yep. deemed the the goat mm-hmm. of halftime shows. There's a couple other ones as well, but this one was awesome. I loved it. It, it was great. Uh, as you said, obviously, a little bit older than me, but I still loved the music. And I still, you know, I still felt very nostalgic listening to that music. I, me, like, it was more 50 Cent and Eminem, but still, like, Snoop Dogg's the coolest guy on planet Earth, like straight up. Like he is so cool. Um, Dr. Dre, like to see him up there. And I don't know if he was actually still producing up there, but it was cool to see him. Like these guys still got it. Mary J. Blige was incredible. Like all of them, like usually when you roll on some of the older acts, you're like, oh, this is awesome. It's great. But like, they don't got it anymore. That's not the case with these guys. They were all electric. And I thought the setup was pretty cool too. Like the West Coast uh, house party with the low riders and everything. It was really cool. I enjoyed it. I I thought there needed to be a post-game show because I wanted more. I was craving for more. I I love people going around like on the internet saying, okay, when is this super group going on tour? And this needs to be a tour in my city right now. Like it it was just awesome. I think, and I agree with you. Sometimes when you get, you know, those artists who may be just of years past, 
it kind of loses its luster, but Eminem's still making music. Dre's still making some sort of music. Yeah, 50 Cent might not be as influential, but, you know, Mary J. Blige is still doing stuff. Like It, it was a very well done, and Snoop is so... I don't even know what the, like, he's iconic, right? Like he fits every Mm -hmm. genre. It doesn't matter where you're from or how old you are. You cannot not like Snoop. (laughs) And it was, uh, yeah, it was phenomenal. I was, I was singing along and I was dancing. I I was having a good old time. Unfortunately, I was on the Joey B train, but shout out to Matthew Stafford, Coach McVay. Um, Stan Kroenke made an appearance. Silent Stan. Yeah. Um, in the worst tradition in sports of handing the owner the trophy oh, first. God, but, so bad. Um, you know, I thought in the grand scheme of things, that might've been one of the best overall NFL playoffs I've seen from start to finish. Like, I don't think 100%. there was really a bad game. Maybe in the first round, there was maybe one, but there weren't any bad games throughout. No, it's crazy. I, I don't know the numbers in front of me, but like just the the amount of games that came down to field goals, it mm-hmm. was it was remarkable. It was unbelievable. I know the uh, the conference semifinals. Every single game came down to a field goal. Yeah. Um, the Super Bowl came down to a field goal. Like it was just must see TV. And I, I honestly think that the NFL this year, even as a whole, like it was. Yeah, everyone was saying, oh, it's going to be KC and the Bucs like that at the start of the year. It's like these two teams are so much better. But then we kind of got some unpredictable teams. Bengals, obviously, who picked the Bengals yeah. to win yeah. at the start of the year? Obviously, the Rams, like they they went all in. And you can say you don't like super teams. But for me, they didn't really feel like a super team. So um, I, I'm certainly happy for them. I had a future bet on them to win the Super Bowl at the start oh. of the year. So obviously I was wow. pretty pleased about that. Yeah. 11, 11 to one ticket cashed. So um, pleased, pleased about that. So uh, no, I'm now I'm terrified that the bills are the heavy favorite to win the Super Bowl next year. Cause that never goes well. That never goes um, well. Speaking of like Super Bowl bets and things. Okay. You know, the square game, right? Where yes. Okay. So do you do it where the all the squares are blank and you just put your initials in one of the squares and you buy each square for, I don't know, like two bucks or whatever? Is that yep. how you do it? Okay. So I was at a Super Bowl party and it was obviously limited number, so we couldn't have, you know, 20 people there buying squares. But the guy put all put numbers one through 10 in all of the squares. And then you drew a card and the card that you got was the number that you had. So there was already 10 like fives on the board, but you didn't know what you were. So it was already picking your squares for you. Oh, yeah, it does. It was weird. I, I, it took me a while to, to get my head around it, but it was like, okay, I pay 10 bucks and I get one number, but that one number gives me 10 squares. And those squares are already predetermined. Interesting. No, I've you, never like, you, heard you that. You put before. the one through ten throughout the hundred square grid, and then you pick the side numbers like you normally would. But you walk. I walked in, and and the board was already full. I'm like, what the hell? I came an hour early, and there's no squares. This is bullshit. And they're like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> you get a number, and then that number. I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, all right, this interesting. is pretty interesting. It was interesting. it was a weird way of doing it. One thing I, I once one I'd never seen before. But uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I had a good old time. There was tons of food. Did you stuff your face? It's way too much. Way, way too, too much. much food. Way too much food. Yeah, buffalo chicken dip, 
uh, jalapeno poppers. I was in Hamilton uh, calling that game. Right, of course. Um, for the Halifax Thunderbirds and, and, and Philly Wings. And in the Jackson Square, which is a little plaza mall type of thing attached to the um, arena, there's an anchor bar there. Yeah, so I picked up some. Yeah, I picked up some wings from Anchor Bar and brought them home, reheated them. So yeah, way too much food, way too much. I think I still have pulled pork in my in my fridge right now. Like, just uh, just a gross amount of food. But um, all right, we, we got to keep moving. Um, I want to talk about Frank Chiliano and his ridiculous goals against right now. But um, a interesting piece of audio came out late Tuesday from the Rob Peterson show in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. If you don't know Rod Peterson, he is a very well-known sports media personality that has his own online show. He's done play-by-play for a bunch of different leagues in Canada. He's a huge Rush fan. Um, and he had Lee Genier on the show. Um, and they were just talking about lacrosse and, and where it could fit. And Lee mentioned, you know, Winnipeg has been chomping at the bit to get in. He would love to see it in Winnipeg because they would just embrace the national crossing. And then they kind of talked about, you know, they want to get to 30 teams, which we've heard Nick say a bunch of times. And and that's a grand Mm -hmm. down the road kind of thing. But then he said something that piqued everybody's interest. And he said that there were seven teams lined up for 2023. Now, I don't think this means that the league is going to bring in seven teams next year. I don't even think it means that the team has seven teams already signed, sealed and delivered, and they're going to start unveiling them in 2023. I think if there's any truth to this, and I think you agree with me is that Lee meant that there are seven possible suitors for that. 16th team to come in in 2023 but regardless there is a lot of interest out there into this monster that Nick Sakevich has helped build into what it is today and that is always good news when it comes to the national lacrosse no doubt I mean there 110 percent is interest from other you know, ownership groups that want in on the National Lacrosse League. There's no denying it. We've heard it. We've heard the rumblings of of different locations. Uh, We heard rumblings that there was actually two ownership groups that were vying for Vegas. Like, Mm -hmm. we have heard these things. So we know it's true. It's just seven, like seven. Like, that is (laughs) a lot. Like, I have a hard time, like, naming off seven cities that could be you know, possibilities. Um, you mind do you that and snap a finger, Pat, you know that don't, exactly. don't talk crazy. Exactly. Don't talk crazy. Exactly. Now. I mean, that would, that that's a, that's a segment for an, a slower day. Yeah. Maybe okay. in the off season, we can talk about it, but <laughs> there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of teams. And I think perhaps maybe, I, I don't know. We don't know. Like, I, you know, Jenny, obviously he, he has been involved in the national lacrosse. Like I don't yeah. think he would just throw that out willy nilly. So clearly he's heard something. Um, but we've heard Nick Sakevich, like you said, he's very adamant in growing the game. We've at, at one point heard that there was going to be a pause on these expansion teams, but then we've also now heard that it's, kind of let's just roll out as many as we can over the next few years. So if that's the case, you know, maybe there are more yeah. potential owners waiting in the 
the weeds to get into the National Lacrosse League. And and this has been my stance um, for quite a long time. And when I was in the National Lacrosse League, you know, we started, I think we were nine teams uh, in the early 2000s when I came in, maybe eight. Um, And then over the next like four or five years, we jumped to 13 teams. And that was when Ottawa and Arizona and Columbus, um, Anaheim came in, uh, Ottawa, and, and we just started going everywhere. And we got way too big, way too fast. And as fast as we went from eight to 13, we dropped to nine. So mm-hmm. I really truly believe that if we bring in Vegas next year, which we are, we bring in another team for 2023 that gets us to 16. And if, especially if that team's in the West, which I really hope it is, that gives us eight and eight. We can sit there for a while. We can divide that eight and eight into two fours and have, you know, four conferences or four divisions of four teams in two conferences of eight. We can expand the schedule. We can start these guys playing full time, but we truly need to get to a number and like sit on it for a few years. I know Mm -hmm. there's going to be interest for owners to get in, but let's let that interest continue to build. Let that demand continue to grow because we cannot take this league from 16 teams to like 20 teams in two years and just be floundering in the water. It's not good for the product on the floor. It's not good for optics off of the floor. And it's not good for prospective investors to see teams struggling. Like Panther city is it's their first year. Yes. They've only played three home, four home games. They still haven't really got the tire spin. Georgia still kind of struggles from here and there. New York still kind of struggles in their fan base. We need to make sure all of our current teams are 100% solid before we grow way past the demand and the, the need of players. So um, I love the thought of expansion. I love the, the interest that's out there. And I agree. And it is out there. We just have to be careful. Let's get to 16, sit on it for three, four years, let those teams build, let those markets grow. And then we can see what's next. 110%. I absolutely agree with you that it needs to be a Western team as well, whether that's you know, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Portland, Seattle. I don't care. I think it just, we got to get to eight and eight. And you yeah. said, sit on it, let it develop. Because Teddy, what has been one of the biggest storylines of the season so far? Goalies. Parody. And parody. And goalies. And parody is something that the league has been thirsty for for a very long time. And they finally are getting it. And you could also say, yes, there is parity by a game by game right now. But, you know, you still have two one and seven teams near the bottom. Mm-hmm. So there is a big sense of parity, but it still can grow. And it can still, you know, you want those teams to continue to build what they're building upon. There is a a bright future in New York right now with that offense. There is a bright future in Panther City with what the coaching staff is doing with their team first mentality. The last thing you would want to do is dilute all the talent level, especially from those bottom teams, and make them basically start from scratch once again. Exactly. The more teams you bring in, the more expansion that happens, the more these teams that are struggling lose players. And and it's hard for fans to – to rally around when the rosters are constantly changing each and every year. So I could do a whole show on expansion. Um, before we get to Jesse King, Frank Shiliano has now held two teams 
to four goals. Once the Colorado Mammoth back on December 11th. And then just this past weekend, when he did the same thing to the Panther City Lacrosse Club. He is sporting a 7.4 goals against average. They are on a six-game winning streak. And within that streak, they have had two fresh-faced, baby-faced rookies play their first ever minutes and get wins. Um, you mentioned it. They are arguably the best team in the National Lacrosse League right now. But how crazy is what Frank Shiliano has done this year in the limited time that he's done? He's only played five games. And in two of those games, he's only given up four goals. It's it's unbelievable. It's crazy. Like, his goals against average, like you said, 7.40 stupid numbers, like ridiculous numbers. The next closest starter is Warren Hill at 9.06. Like, that is just mental. And you could probably say, oh, well, the, the, the system and the defense that's playing in front of him is outstanding. Look, there was two rookies, you know, that were able to pick up victories. Sure, you, you know what? Maybe a little bit of his success has to do with the defense that is in front of him and the offense that is, you know, giving him the run support. But he's also got a you know, a 0.808 save percentage. It's not like he's not making those saves and he's just not seeing the rubber. Like this is an unbelievable season. And I think there's a lot of chatter about Vince, Warren Hill, even Higgins for goaltender a year. Nick Rose is now getting the conversation. Not a lot of people are talking about Frank Giuliano mm-hmm. and what he's able to do. And maybe it's because he missed a couple of games due to COVID, but there's no reason why his name shouldn't be near the top right now. I completely agree. Over the last couple of weeks, Jesse King has been playing a bit of an MVP role for the Calgary Roughnecks. They've been out without Curtis Dixon for the past two games where they split with Colorado. The hope is that Superman will be back in the lineup. But in the meantime, Jesse King is just slowly going about his business. He's healthy, he's having fun, and the Roughnecks are back at home. There's Jesse King right here on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. Joined now by one of my all-time favorite, number 19s in the National Crossing, a Victoria Shamrock, a proud Victoria boy, and leading scorer of the Calgary Roughnecks, Jesse King. King, what's going on, my man? Nothing much. Thanks for having me on today. Excited to be here and, you know, chat lacrosse. It, it is a great thing that we can do that again, and it's a great thing that you and your teammates are, are back playing again. Um, it was 30 plus days between games it was 50 plus days between home games what's the season been like for you guys as crazy as it has been yeah it's uh like a little bit of a roller coaster obviously you know you got so excited to start playing at the start of the year and then uh you know we had some uh, obviously some big changes over the summer and uh over the last i guess over the last couple of years with our team um so that's been interesting to adapt to and then now adapting to you know the new schedule and restrictions that are going on with nll and you know throughout the country and then all of a sudden kind of kind of trying to start getting into that rhythm of playing again and then it kind of got taken away from us obviously with the with the break that we had um And I think this last week was, you know, really good step for our team in the right direction, kind of starting to figure each other out again, getting a little bit more uh, gameplay under our belt. And then also just, you know, being able to do the work during the week when, you know, you have something to look forward to, because it's always hard to, you know, be motivated to work during the week when you like don't have a game this weekend, or, you know, we had two years off where like all you're doing during the week is just training and like, 
it can get a little bit meticulous and a little bit boring, but it's, uh, you know, we're happy to be where we are right now. So let's get this out of the way real quick. Uh, how far away from the back of the bird are all you guys with that new WestJet loyal loyalty program? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't really like for our, I don't really know all the logistics behind it all. It's more of a, uh, I think part of like our marketing team and our uh, like social media and what they deal with. I think that they kind of gave us like some good rates on flights and stuff. I'm not entirely sure of the whole uh, business operations of the side of the thing. And, uh, but I'm not sitting at the back of the plane too often. You know, we do get to check or like pick our seats pretty early, which is nice, but it's not as big a difference as you would think. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of time in the lounge though. Yeah, the lounge access is nice. I will say that's a huge one. And in Calgary, it's even better because they just built a brand new lounge, which oh. is uh, it's big for the fellas. I will say that. <laughs> you know, like I was coming um, home on, I was coming home on when did we come home on uh, or Saturday last week, and I sat in the lounge and had like eggs Benedict for breakfast, and oh, so it, wow. it wasn't too bad. <laughs> not bad at all. Not bad at all. Um. Coming into this this season, obviously, as you mentioned, super excited to get going. And then you have all these pauses in between. How difficult is it, especially as an offensive unit, especially when you have a bunch of new faces, to stay in sync and stay in communication and not lose touch and that chemistry that you guys started to build at the start of the year? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's constant communication throughout the week. Um and it sounds kind of old fashioned and a little bit, uh, um, I don't know, like just by the book, but like you have to watch film during the week to understand, you know, what you did wrong. And I truly believe that like visualization is a huge part of your game. If you're able to see what's going to happen. And I think that whenever you're able to watch film during the week and kind of understand like where you made this decision, like what other decisions you could have made is really important on the offensive side of the ball. Um, like you said, we've got some new faces. We're pretty young out the front gate, not to mention with the COVID stuff that's been going on, our offensive roster has been fluctuating like quite a bit. Um, so a lot of guys have been put into positions that generally they're not used to. Um, so you just try and be positive with everybody you want to, you know, give positive feedback and also some, you know, constructive criticism of like what you could be doing better here or there and, you know, being open-minded as well for some, like a younger guy who could give me some advice and, you know, vice versa. I think that's so important on the offensive side of the ball. And then obviously our coaches, you know, they, they make such a good game plan during the week. So being able to understand what the game plan is and follow through with that into the game is sounds really simple, but it's actually in the heat of the moment can be really difficult. You mentioned the young guys. Uh, you were once a young guy, but now you're a seasoned veteran in the National Lacrosse. It may not seem like it, but you are. Um, but Tanner Cook and and Waters have really started to find their way in your offense. It is taking some time, as it does with everybody, but how nice is it to see those guys starting to find their rhythm? Yeah, it's it's been a huge learning curve. And just as like any guy who comes to the NLL, it's, a, it's quite a big learning curve. The game's faster. It's, you know, it's changed even since I've been in the league of, you know, how physical and how athletic and how uh, much 
you know, creativity there is on offense these days. Um, so it'll be continuous every single game for all of us as an offensive uh, unit. But, you know, I'm proud of those guys and the way they've been able to receive that feedback kind of try and take that feedback and also implement it onto the floors is the one of the hardest things to do. And when you are able to see that, you know, it's really rewarding for yourself, but also really rewarding for those guys because they start to, you know, Oh, I, I'm understanding now I'm seeing this happen. It's developing and it's, it, it's really special to see. And uh, it does feel weird because, you know, you, you call me a seasoned veteran, but I, I, I don't think I've played a hundred games. I don't think yeah. I've played 50 games maybe even. So it's uh it's uh it's weird for me as well but it's um I, yeah i'm happy for tanner he's starting to really develop as a lefty on our strong side understanding what his job is and kind of filling that void of what we need on the left side and same thing for uh for waters and hayden those guys kind of understanding that when curtis dixon isn't in the lineup like you might have to step up and pull on the ball a little bit longer maybe a little bit less in these situations so Again, it's not a difficult or not an easy job to do, especially when it's your first year getting into the season. You're kind of getting asked a lot to do, uh, a lot to do out there. Is this the year that Zach Courier finally gets a transition player of the year award? Um, because what he's doing, of I mean, he's averaging a point per game right now, and everything else uh, that you could imagine he's doing for this team. And I thought his last game was one of the best games that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I think if you you speak to Zach himself, he would tell you the same thing. That he's not really focused on, you know, those individual accolades because he knows what it's like to win a championship. We know what that's like. We we want that feeling again, and that's the expectation that we kind of build in this locker room. Um, our defense, the same thing. A lot of new faces on the back end, and really kind of starting to find their own. Especially, I found after last game, they played like hard nosed, tough strong two-handed lacrosse and those are the things that you know coach if you talk to coach Milosky, those are the things that he preaches he preaches old time tough you know defense he doesn't preach a lot of this like transition stuff that kind of stuff comes with um the talent that zach does have on that side of the ball and the, the opportunities that he is able to take advantage of that are are highlights to how good of a player he is you mentioned two-hand tough defense, hard nose, old school, all those cliches. Well, the defense that you're going up against this week certainly exemplifies all those things. What does this Warriors defense pose for you guys in this upcoming matchup? Yeah, we haven't seen them yet this season, which is kind of weird because we again we were supposed yeah. to see them like, you know, a month, a month and a half ago or something. And that was one of the games that got pushed back. Um you know, obviously once you watch some film, they've got some like bigger bodies on the back end. They're a little bit more well-rounded defensively. Um, you know, their goaltender has been playing well in the net. I think it'll be important for us to stick to kind of our style of lacrosse, which is, you know, being able to spread uh, out a defense, um, being athletic on the more, a little bit more athletic on the right side, having them kind of do their own thing. And then us on our lefties, you know, being able to get those two man games, being able to, get into our sets and just follow the schedule or follow the uh, game plan that coach Moloski and, um, and uh, Slipper are going to have for us this week. Time out for the power play here with Jesse King, five questions as quick as you can. Um, who controls the locker room music and who has to stay away from the iPod? Um, it's kind of weird because this might actually fall under the same person. Mitch Wild, <laughs> Mitch Wild controls the locker room. Um, he hasn't been here for a few games, so uh, Zach Courier has been stepping up into that system. But Mitch Wild has some controversial music that some guys like aren't really into, and 
want to be a little <laughs> bit more pumped up. So it's kind of goes hand in hand, but uh, I know that uh, a lot of guys have their own music going at the same time. So I'm not really sure that answers, but it kind of <laughs> falls in there. Give me, give me an example of a controversial song. I don't know. Like before the game, like for me, like I like to listen to like pretty upbeat music. If it's like EDM or rap or even like some rock music that's in there. And I feel like sometimes um, Mitch might play a little bit more like R&B kind of stuff. That's a little slower, like old school, like Usher and kind of stuff. And that's where guys are like, well, like what's happening here, you know? So, which is, you know, not to say they aren't great songs. It just, uh, it's uh, it's a time and a place thing. I feel like. All right. Well, now that Mitch Wilde's underneath the bus here, I'll give you an oh, no. opportunity to expose yourself. What's the most embarrassing song on your playlist? On my playlist? Uh, I don't know if it, it's not like on my playlist, but at the beginning of the year when we did all of our like uh, press or like our social media and press stuff, I know that we were dancing all around to uh, Katy Perry and it was, it was funny and it was just for fun and we were having a good time with it. But um I also have this like weird playlist on my play or on my uh, Spotify that is for like when I like to like fall asleep on a plane, like I'll put music in and it's uh, James Vincent McMorrow. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's just like really soft and easy music. So I think that probably would fall <laughs> under the most embarrassing music that I have kind of. Um, you were doing some pretty good singing with Mr. Brightside though. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was, I was talking to our social media guy or late or girl yesterday and um it's pretty funny. Like a lot of our team, it, like, especially in the moment like that, when you get put on the spot to like guess a song and you're not really sure, like yeah. our whole team just like sucks. <laughs> <We're just>, like, <laughs> and like, I, I feel like I hear this on the radio and I would know what it is, but like, as soon as you hear some guy sing or even some guys were just like saying the yeah, words, it, yeah. like, it's just like, uh, like you just put on the spot and it was, it was bad. It was fun, but it was bad. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Marshall. It was like, who and he was with Hayden. He was like, Yeah, he was with it's Hayden. so hard to figure out what song it is when you're just reading the words. And Hayden is so monotone, yeah, so it's just like it's like the same pitch the entire time. <laughs> um, what's the best part of being uh from Vancouver Island in Victoria? Um, I'm a big fan of the summers i love going up to the to the lake for couch and i know i know i know for you like we can pretty much golf all year round as long as it's not like downpour of rain so i think that's a a huge upside and also just the community of lacrosse that we have in victoria and on the island is like pretty spectacular you got a lot of guys that are you know including yourself and your brother and you know, rising and those guys that are always, they're all still involved and really trying to grow the aspect of the game. So I think that's uh, probably one of the best parts about being from the Island. To your other home, uh, best bar in Columbus. Best bar in Columbus. I mean, when I was there, we used to go to a place called Charlie bear or gnarly bear, as you would call it, it's called the land of dance. <laughs> and I know Logan would probably agree with you if you talk to Logan Chess about that one. That uh, Charlie Bear was the our bar of choice when we were when we were able to allowed to go. Last one, Patty. Worst dressed player on the Roughnecks. So more bus throwing on this one. <laughs> oh no. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen, and I'm pretty sure he was pretty close to getting a fine on our team with this, but I think Ethan Ticers wears either a Towson sweater or a Roughneck sweater every single week. And like our issued like 
<laughs> roughnecks pants that we get every single week and it's uh he's been pretty close to getting a fine for wearing too many branded uh <laughs> branded clothing so if, i think i'll he, go with sizers if he was still on the team would it be dane doby would it be dane i don't, I don't think Dane's like pretty lax attire sometimes yeah i don't know like i i'm so I'm so I, I don't really have like a huge opinion on who's like that because everyone has their own style. Everyone yeah. likes to kind of portray like who they are with a lot of the time that they with the way that they dress or like choose not to do that. So I don't really have too much of an opinion like that. Guys want to wear what they want to wear, yeah. and uh, none of it really bothers me that much. Fair enough. Uh, that's the power play with Jesse King. Um, scores a goal as always. Um, your brother Marshall and his girlfriend Emily, Emily, obviously going through some incredibly tough times um, with everything that that's been happening with her over the past three or four years. What emotions go through your mind um, when you see them and the battles that that they deal with? Yeah, I uh, the biggest thing for at least for me is like you kind of have this like like emotion of like helplessness because like you can't like you want to be able to help them and you want to be able to do stuff for them but like at the end of the day you you can make these like gestures that you feel like like sometimes we'll take them food or have them over for dinner or like whatever but like we do that anyways we mm. would do that anyways you know there's nothing like really and the thing is is like it means a lot to them and like you don't even realize that but like i can't like cure her i can't you know help her with her with her, her physiotherapy or doing that stuff. And it's really that like place of like, you have to understand that these like small little acts that you're able to help out with them, like mean a lot more to them than you think. And I think that might go for a lot of things and a lot of different people, but especially for their situation and you know, how tough they've had to go through it at, you know, they're, they're just turning 25 this year. Yeah, crazy. Like they've been dealing with this since they were 21, 22 years old. And I just, I don't feel like, anyone should should have to do that no matter what the situation and i know this is just like one um example for anybody around out in the world but i just especially for something that's hit so close to home this uh that feeling of helplessness is uh for me my partner my parents my family their parts of their family like you just want to support them as any way you can and there's only so much that you can do there was obviously an incredible outpouring of support from the lacrosse community and lacrosse family, you know, with Emily's GoFundMe. But um, when this kind of hit mainstream media uh, and it got on the Rachel Ray show, like it, it really took off. How cool was that to see of complete strangers reaching out to, to give and help in any way that they could? Yeah, it is really cool, especially, you know, because you talk about how unique their situation is for their age or like whatever, but it also, there's this outreach of like other people that are going through very similar stuff. And the, I don't know because I'm not like a part of that community, but the ability for Emily to post stuff and yeah. uh, be a positive light for somebody that is going through something that is very similar or even the same. It, again, it can be so little how, meaningful that can be for somebody but you don't again you don't even realize it like you, you think about yourself and like you look at these like for me I look at these like fitness influencers and I'm, they're like posting stuff all the time and I'm like they're just like posts but like I'm taking like little ideas from all these posts and like putting them into my way it's like the same kind of idea where except on a bigger scale where you know Emily's posting these like little TikToks and like these videos and they're funny to me but and then you, 
you can't even see those in a different light for someone who like might be struggling through the same thing and it might just make them smile that day and that's all they needed you know to get through this so the ability for this to kind of take off in a larger scale for her I think is really is really helpful for her mental health as well because it helps her be happy it helps her take her mind off things um, and it also you know it's fulfilling to know that you're helping somebody else in that could be in that certain situation so I think it's well-deserved and especially for Emily, she's such a bright light even before all this happened. So it's really nice to see like, not only how she's like developed as a person, but how like similar she stayed and how positive she stayed no matter what the uh, situation has been. Absolutely. No doubt about that. That's one thing that was my biggest takeaway. And obviously I don't know your brother and, and Emily personally, but just from, from reading everything, seeing the videos, um, inspiring and, and uplifting mm -hmm. is the first two things that certainly come to mind. Yeah. Switching uh, gears a little bit. And uh, you, we already talked about your ties to the Ohio State University. How cool is it to see so many more year after year Buckeyes roll into the National Lacrosse League and have an impact. And most notably this year, the newest one, Ryan Tarafenko, with no box lacrosse experience. And, and he's coming into the game and having his own effect too. Yeah, I mean, you watched Terry play in the summers and you, you watched him play at college. You knew he was going to transition just fine over to the game once he starts to learn it a little bit more. Um but even he, just you saying that, like, it sends shivers down my spine, knowing, like, you see every year, you're seeing more and more guys, you know, not only, like, come out of Ohio State and go into the NLL, but, like, that can change someone's decision. Like, hey, like, you know, we have, like, this many guys playing professional lacrosse now. And um, you could you could feel it when, it when I was there. Like, there was a couple guys in NLL, and then there you knew there was going to be a couple more. And you could just feel, like, how special it was when you were there, and you knew that, once you had been done, like you were going to have a better opportunity because of where you went, not even so much as a lacrosse player. And that's something that I remember coach Myers would always preach is, you know, we bring here, you here because to make you a better person. And at that time, like you're going from being like an 18 year old to becoming a man and like, or like becoming an adult. So that place really helps shape you into that and know that like, yes, you're going to be a great lacrosse player, but you're also going to be successful at, you know, whatever you do because of the work that you were able to put in while you're there. So it's uh it's special every year seeing, you know, Fennell and Pearson and Wiz and, you know, Turner, Brock, there's so many names other Logan that like are still playing or, you know, or some kind of influence in the lacrosse community as well. For a first timer, um, what's my reaction going to be to seeing the new rug in Calgary? <laughs> it's bright. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's, like, uh, yeah, it's not as bright. It's not as bright as it looks on tv okay. okay in person okay but the, the biggest notice that i had was that the whole arena is like brighter mm. because of it so right. that's that's all i'm gonna say um and I, i've <laughs> asked a bunch of people this especially goalies how hard is it to track the ball because from a broadcast perspective it seems like it gets lost sometimes yeah i don't know maybe if like I might be used to it now. And I say that because we, we, but we've only been on that floor, like, you know, a handful of times. And obviously we had a lot of time off where we weren't there. So yeah. um, it definitely is a little bit different at the beginning, but again, you, you adapt and you get used to it just like anything else. I remember when I was at school, like I used to play lacrosse, uh, they used to put us on this giant wall and it was a white wall and it was like, you would throw the ball and it'd be gone instantly. Right. And like, I remember that 
be a lot harder than this. So, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I guess that kind of trained you for something you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> Subconsciously uh, trained me. <laughs> exactly. Now, that's not the only thing that's different this year. Uh, New Jersey's as well. And I'll be honest, I, I, I kind of consider myself a little bit of a, a, a Jersey snob. And I didn't really love them at first, but after seeing you guys play in them, see them, seeing them with the gear and now knowing like, okay, Calgary's not going to be red anymore. I actually kind of like them. They've, they've grown on me quite a bit. Yeah. They, I think you, like your reaction is kind of how a lot of us felt, you know, at the start we we're like, Oh, like it's new, like blah, like it's okay. And uh, now that we wear them, like our whites are pretty sharp and like the, yeah. the, the black does look like, a lot better than I thought it would on the floor that we're playing on. Um, but they are sharp. They're really flat. The thing I, I always respect about Calgary is th- they don't do anything like with their, especially with their jerseys, like too like crazy out of the like box, you know, like they're pretty straightforward, which I, I, I really love. Like if you look at all the NHL jerseys, like they're just simple and clean cut and very easy. And that's what you really love about them. And then that's what I like to see in the, in the lacrosse world as well. It is a doubleheader for you guys this week, and it's going to be a tough travel day on Saturday. You're at home against Vancouver on Friday. You go to Panther City down in Fort Worth for your first time for a game on Sunday. How important and how crucial will it be for you guys to come out of this weekend with two wins, get back to 500, and really have a hard reset going into the second half of the season? Yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be super important. You know, we're going to focus on Vancouver for now and, you know, get, get a good, great uh, game plan from our coaches for them. And um, it's a lot, it's, it, we said it last week and it would, it's going to be a lot better if we go into this weekend being, you know, two and four than one and five. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the mentality that we're going into this weekend is, you know, working, getting back to, to 500. And I, I can't remember, I can't remember who said it, but someone had mentioned it that when we had won, we actually started off like one and four, or like two and four or something like that. So yeah. I think that's a, something you want to keep in mind in the back of your head, but going into this weekend, I think uh, we're excited. It, it'll be, it's a great opportunity for us. And um, again, there's going to be, uh, it's a quick turnaround. So we're going to have a, a big film day on uh, Saturday and, you know, try and get prepared. But for now we're, going to focus on Vancouver and go out there on Friday in front of our home fans and try and get another win at home. And it's on TSN. And it's on TSN. Look at that. (laughs) There he is. That's Jesse King of the Calgary Roughnecks. And Patty, it, it breaks your heart listening to Jesse talk about his heartbreaking, not being able to help his brother and Emily as much as he can or as much as he wants to or as much as he feels he needs to help them in this situation. And what helps soften that blow, obviously, is the outpouring of support that's come from everyone throughout the lacrosse world, but complete strangers who are donating to Marshall and Emily sight unseen, only knowing their story. And when you think about everything they're going through, as Jesse said, it is something that no two people should ever have to go through, especially two young kids that are at the prime of their lives. It's just, it really pulls at the heartstrings. You've had a conversation on this podcast before with them, and you can just, you can tell like how much, and of course it's his, it's his brother, it's his, 
you know, his, his brother's girlfriend and it's family, but like, you can hear the, the, the tone change in his mm-hmm. voice. And it's obviously he's sad, but he's also, you can, you can feel the pain that he wants to help them so bad. And there's only so much that he can do. And that's what pains him that he, he can't do anything up to a certain point to really help out. But um, it just speaks to the character that the family, the Kings have. Um, and, and you can really hear that when he talks, you know, about his brother and about Emily. The Roughnecks will be in action this weekend. Um, six games, three days, triple doubles, all three days starting on Friday. Uh, Wolves at Bandits. That is their ESPN game of the week. Albany's, you know, they've, I, I mentioned this when we were with Devin Kane on Coast to Coast this week that Philadelphia is very Jekyll and Hyde. Albany's kind of Jekyll and Hyde too. They can hold teams to, you know, eight, nine goals. And then for some reason, Rochester has their number. What kind of Wolves, Firewolves team can we expect against a bandit squad that just loves to light the lamp and they're going to be at home? Well, they've got a three and one home record. And despite the shellacking that they took in their home opener, they've been great at home. And it's crazy. Like uh, we, uh, we must've mushed their defense. And (laughs) totally said they're, they're, they're an always under team. The under. <laughs> they're a great defense. Always take the under. What happens, their defense doesn't look like anything that Coach Clement Durazio has been preaching about. And their offense has exploded. I'm sure they're pleased that, you know, they have 82 goals for um, now on the campaign. But I can guarantee you Glenn Clark is getting more grays in his hair that his team has allowed 85 goals. Like, this is not the way they want to play lacrosse. I said earlier in the show, they're comfortable when it's a grinded out, slow things down on one end and, and play fast in transition and then move the ball like crazy on offense. Like they want to grind you down in one end and then make you run around like crazy in the offensive end. So that is the ESPN game of the week uh, on TSN Warriors at Roughnecks. Okay. It is going to be February 18th. And this will be the first game these two teams have played all season. They played a preseason game. That doesn't really count. This is the first time all year that they will play. And it's coming at a great time for the Warriors who are starting to find the rhythm. The Roughnecks are coming off a big win against Colorado. Two teams kind of jockeying for position in the NLL West. I think this could be one of the matchups of the entire weekend. I think it's from an important standpoint. Mm -hmm. It certainly is like you look at the roughnecks. If they lose that game, like I know it's still early, but you can essentially put a fork in them. They're pretty much done. Like they, they, they lose another game to Colorado. It's another loss in the Western conference, but not only do they win, they win without Curtis Dixon in the lineup. And the big thing for me is Christian Delbianco looks like, Christian Delbianco, again, mm-hmm. confident, moving the ball well. They're playing fast in transition. And then on the flip side, the Warriors, same thing. As soon as I saw a photo of Mitch Jones in a wheelchair and hearing that he was going to be out for a while, I'll be honest, I said they're toast. Like the, yeah. that, that offense, I don't know what they're going to do, but everyone on that offense has stepped up. Like really, I know a lot of people ridiculous. are asking, who's going to step up? 
No, no one answered that question because they all stepped up. Yeah. Everyone's been going off. Everyone's been playing collective as a unit. And kudos to them probably recognizing it, saying like, listen, we're not, not one of us are going to be able to fill in the shoes of Mitch Jones. Mm -hmm. It's just no one can. The only way we're going to do it is if we do it together as a team. And that's exactly what they've done. And the defenses continue to have been great. And Alex Bouquet has been, oh, you know, he, guys he had, the ball. He, yeah, oh my God, dimes on dimes. But he had a little bit of a falter there for what, a two-game stretch, you want to say? Yeah. He's back to where he was at the start of the year. Um, as mentioned, Calgary expecting to have Curtis Dixon back in the lineup, which will be a big boost for them. We haven't heard any reports out of Warriors camp about the status of Tyrell Hamer-Jackson, but it didn't look good when he left the floor last weekend with an apparent shoulder injury. So keep your eyes on that. If, if THJ, the TikTok Tugman, is out, um, <laughs> I would expect Owen Barker to take the majority of the draws. Uh, Marty Dinsdale's taken some draws before. Ryan Martell's taken some draws. Um, so they've got other guys by committee that can do it, but it'll be a big test against Tyler Burton, who's one of the top draw guys in the national crossing. So those are your two games Friday, ESPN for Wolves and Bandits, TSN, Warriors, and Roughneck. Saturday, Swarm at T-Birds in the nest. That How many so bowls good, of Teddy. chowder are you going to have? The limit does not exist. Like, is there a I, limit? I, I cannot Are you wait. getting like bread bowl chowder or just chowder in a bowl? So the way it comes, and this this is terrible podcasting, but I, I talk what about do you mean? it so If often, I ever I go to Halifax, I need <laughs> to know the customs to eating chowder. So here's the thing. It's it's not in a bread bowl, which would be fantastic. Mm -hmm. You do get a little bread on the side, but it, it's a pretty you can get the, the full size, which is huge. It's it's not just clam chowder, which people are like, ah, clam chowder. It's a seafood chowder. So Ooh, okay. lobster, shrimp scallops clam like you name it it's in there it's so loaded with, with seafood it's actually relatively it's relatively uh priced so that's <laughs> i i usually that's usually my meal that's a lot of the guys meal actually getting off the bus if it's a saturday game go yeah. to the hotel depending on how late the flight is we've had you know on the bus you know guys rookies calling in and putting in the orders <laughs> so the kitchen doesn't close and mind you this is at the hotel restaurant right. which is awesome it's not your generic restaurant like it's got great food but the veteran move Ooh. that micah kersey told me the last home game to do and i think i'm going to try it because like i said they've got great food all around what he does he orders the starter size of the clam chowder so you get the taste you get everything but you also order the order of fish and chips because their fish and chips are phenomenal. So Ooh, you get so the taste of the chowder. chowder and then fish yes. and chips is the main. Ooh, yes. See, because awesome. even though, even though how big the, the bowl of chowder is, it just leaves you wanting more. Yeah. Perfect. So you're perfect. not, you are satisfied because it tastes so good, but it's like, okay, well, I could probably go for something a little else than, you know, Pete and I get end up eating some snacks in, in the room later on the Friday. But this way, and Akurzi, I tell you, he's a veteran on the bench. He was a veteran when he was on the floor. He's a veteran in the restaurant. That is the life hack that he taught me, and I'm going to try it this weekend. Um, secondary sidebar, we will talk about this game in a second. What's Dalladay <laughs> like on the road? Beauty. Absolute beauty. Absolute beauty. He, he is such an easygoing roomie like you could 
he'd be totally fine with sitting on the couch watching golf on the golf network or if you want to go cruise and discover what Halifax has to offer he's down to do that too super super easy big team guy he he just buys into whatever you're throwing down uh, Halifax coming off a 10-8 win over Philadelphia. Georgia knocking off New York 13-11. So two teams with wins under their belts. Uh, I believe this is the first time they've met this season. Uh, a big game for Mike Poulin and that San, or that Georgia defense because Halifax is now healthy. Jammer's mm-hmm. rolling. KJ's got dad strength. Um, it's going to be a tough test for the Swarm defense. It certainly is. And I think myself and, and Ty Mara are probably the two biggest cheerleaders or advocates for this defense because everyone talks about oh, how young they are and they have some things to work on. And everyone loves to talk about Lyle and Shane Jackson and that offense. And yes, by all means, they should be because Lyle Thompson is having a MVP like season, but the defense is very underrated. They have a lot of young athletic defenders that like to play fast, like to get up in your face. And I think that bodes well for them against Halifax. Like, I think that's going to be a good matchup. Halifax likes to spin the ball around, but when they get caught with their feet standing still, um, it could pose an issue for them. The big thing you said, it, Mike Poulin, mm-hmm. um, because this Halifax team, if things aren't going well for them offensively, they have enough guys who can just shoot the ball from the outside and a couple will will just sting the corner. Like when things aren't going well, Cody Jamison has been known to just take the ball himself and score. So if Poulin's not seeing the ball well from the outside, it could be a problem. If he's soaking everything from the outside and this athletic defense keeps everything to the outside, this could be a recipe for an upset here. I'm looking forward to a really, really good game. That's the first game on Saturday. The second game, uh, Toronto Rock at the Albany Firewolves. Uh, So the Wolves have to go back to back from Buffalo. They'll head home. This could be a big weekend for the Albany Firewolves. If they can find a way to pull off a couple wins against two teams that they're battling in the Eastern Conference with, is it possible that they can do the double dip on back-to-back nights? I couldn't see why not, honestly. I honestly could not see why not because we've seen them win in different ways. Um, they can score, obviously, now. Joe Rezateris has looked tremendous. Ryan Benesh is Ryan Benesh. The defense and goaltending, it's going to have to come down to them. We need to get them. They need to get back to what we were seeing at the start of the season. If they can do that, 100% they could. But with that being said, Teddy, because they've been so inconsistent, they could also lose two games here. <laughs> That's true. And and That's go true. the other way, right? Yeah. Like ideally, yes, it'd be great. They could be six and four. They'd be thrilled with that. A split, I think they would still be disappointed because they already split a weekend here. So they want to come out six and four. They're back into the mix of things. But if they lose both, now you're four and six with a team like Toronto starting to heat up with a team like Rochester that has shown some life and now has the tiebreaker against you. Like this could really, really go the other way for them. Schreiber, six games, 23 goals. Um, Dad strength 2.0 is a real thing. And you mentioned a few times, the guy just can't miss right now. 
Uh, he's playing some of the best lacrosse we've seen him from him in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, it's just outstanding to see what he can do when he is healthy and when he is focused. And right now he's just two goals behind Lyle for the league lead. And the crazy thing about it is that he's only played six games. Yeah. Like it, it's insane. His shooting percentage is off the, off the charts. Like I don't have it. And speaking of charts, I don't have it in front of me, but his shooting percentage is ridiculous. And he's scoring in so many different ways. He's scoring on the run. He's scoring on the inside, looking like he's from Oakville or Orangeville and not Long Island. Like he's playing the box game, like, a Canadian and a guy that's grown up and played. But I think the big thing for him, and you said it, he's healthy. Mm -hmm. He's not nursing a shoulder injury or a hamstring injury that he, you know, got during the outdoor season. Like he looks fully healthy. He's shooting the ball with confidence. And he jokingly said to me um, before the game on one of our calls saying that like, it kind of makes him sick looking at his assist numbers because he says like, Oh, he's, he's so young. Yeah, it's young numbers, right? He's like, am I not passing the ball enough? And then and then talking to, you know, Matt Sawyer, he said, well, he is still sharing the ball well. It's just every time he shoots, it seems like it's going in the back of the net. Yeah. So he's not getting as many assists. So the good thing about Schreiber, and if you're a Toronto Rock fan, if and when it probably will, his shooting percentage does go down, you know he can be effective in other ways. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like even if he does cool off a little bit here, he can still be that playmaker, making those Schreiberian assists Schreiberian, that he's so famous. Yeah. Um, 23 goals, 77 shots, good enough for a 23.0 flat shooting percentage. But as you mentioned, only eight assists. But that will come around, uh, no doubt about it. So that's the second game mm -hmm. on Saturday. And we got two on Sunday, Rush at Mammoth, Roughnecks at Panther City. Uh I kind of alluded to this. If the Mammoth knock off the rush, does that officially tip Saskatchewan into being, being full on sellers? And how fast does Derek Keenan pick up the phone and start trying to move some of those RFAs? I think it totally depends on what happens with Vancouver and with Calgary. If Calgary loses two games, then I don't think so. If Vancouver loses their game, they go back to 500. I think maybe Keenan says, let's hold on here. But I think after the weekend, if they're well behind everyone at two and uh, two and six, I'm, I'm thinking that he, he's at least entertaining the thought of trading some RFAs because as you and I know, we talked about this um, on coast to coast. He's not afraid to go scorched earth. No, he's not built he's a not. dynasty last time. So it's tough to say because you just look at that group. You look at the offense. Obviously, something is wrong. But in the back of your head, you just look at the guys on the floor and say, they got to figure it out. Yeah. They have to figure it out. I, I think we, we can all kind of agree that there was maybe, and, and it's something we don't rarely say, we, we, yeah, we don't rarely say it, or we do rarely say it, is that maybe Derek Keenan made a mistake not getting a goaltender sooner. Um, you know, he, he didn't, there was reports that Eric Penny was going to go there. Don't know how true those were, but that obviously never fell through. Um, Adam shoot just hasn't had it. Uh, Pete Dubinsky saw his first few minutes of the season and he didn't have it. So there obviously are some issues. How does Derek Keenan 
remedy those, I'm not too sure. Um, like you said, if Calgary wins two games, they're at 500. If Saskatchewan loses, they're two and six, and they're probably out of it, and they're probably selling. If Calgary loses both, um, that means Vancouver gets to five and three. Um, Calgary drops to two and six. Sure, they're not out of it and getting maybe a fourth place seed, but they're even further away from you know one of those Eastern teams that are fighting for that fifth place crossover spot. So I, I truly right. believe this is a make or break weekend for for both Calgary and Saskatchewan. But for the Mammoth, mm-hmm. you know they were on a bit of a heater. We we had Dylan Ward on last week, and he was talking about how that team had really find multiple ways to win. Unfortunately, they couldn't pull it out this weekend, this past weekend against Calgary. But for the Mammoth guys like Ryan Lee, Zed Williams. Chris Wardle, Connor Robinson, they're starting to find their rhythm out the front door. And this is a huge opportunity for the Mammoth to make a statement and keep pace with San Diego. And I think a little bit of adversity is not going to hurt them, right? Of course. Like it almost seemed like everything was coming too easy for that offensive group. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Robinson, it seemed like every shot he was <laughs> taking was going in the back of the net. Ryan Lee was just distributing the ball like – like candy like he was tossing it out like like it was too easy it was just mm-hmm. way too easy so now this offense has hit a run a little bit in one game and now they say okay like you know if things aren't working for us we're gonna have to find other ways to be successful so it's not the end of the world um but at the same time you don't want to go into this game here and then put another lackluster performance on offense which could be possible with the defense that is uh, going up against them because then it goes in the back of your head thinking like, okay, were those games like what's going on? The offense has kind of gone south, gone slow. I don't know for me though. And for obviously Dylan Ward, he said it, this is a different team. Mm-hmm. The mindset's different. The offense is different and they still have the power on that back end. And of course he won't say it himself, but they also have Dylan Ward. They also have uh, Mammoth and Rush will play back-to-back weekends. So time will tell when we get to maybe the end of February to see where these two teams are, especially the Saskatchewan Rush. And then, of course, Calgary will fly all the way from Alberta to Texas on Saturday. They will rest up and get ready to play Panther City on a Sunday afternoon. You are the president of the Sunday Funday Fan Club. Uh, we kind of talked about the importance of the Roughnecks of winning two games, but for Panther city, I think it's more important to get that first home win under their belt. No doubt about that. And they've like, we can be honest, three games in a row now where they've really started to look more like an expansion team. They started great in that first half against San Diego. And then the wheels just completely fell off. The offense has to, to find something here. And you and I talked about it ad nauseum, the last couple episodes, there's just so much more tape out on this offense. They need to find other ways to produce some goals. And maybe that's also in transition. Maybe the transition has to do a much better job chipping in. Maybe the power play has to step up here and score when they get the opportunities. Um, This is a big opportunity for a Calgary team, sorry, to pounce on a Calgary team that's playing a back-to-back that has a tough travel. And like you said, it's a Sunday afternoon game. Hopefully they get a really good crowd because that's where you can not only build momentum for the season going forward, but build momentum for the fan base and for the franchise going forward. Um, obviously we, we didn't mention, but last weekend they were without head coach Tracy Kluski, without OC Dan yeah. Keith. So 
you know, GM Bob Hamley had to step in down the bench. So, you know, hopefully for them, they have their bench bosses down there for them in this game, which, you know, again, for team confidence moving forward for the franchise, this is a very, very important game for Panther City. So those are your six games, two Friday, two Saturday, two Sunday. The TV games are on Friday. Everything else can be streamed online, ESPN Plus or TSN Direct. Uh, before we get to box bets, let's quickly go through our midseason awards. Um, we won't go down, uh, we'll break down every single guy, um, but we'll go uh, MVP, goalie, defender, rookie, transition, then head coach and GM. Who is your MVP, Pat Gregoire? I went with Challen Rogers and I went with literally the definition of most valuable player. When I looked at all the rosters, yes, there's a ton of guys having unbelievable seasons. Um, Ryan Lee putting up career numbers. Lyle Thompson is doing outstanding things. Dane Doby has, you know, looked tremendous with San Diego. But for me, what Rogers has done this season, playing at both sides of the floor, playing an offensive role, when guys were dropping like flies in that lineup. And then now he's back to playing more of his traditional transition role while still manning the power play. Like what he is doing is ridiculous. He is in my eyes, the most valuable player in this league. And not only is he valuable, he's also outstanding what he's doing. Um, The impact that he has on the floor. That's why he's my MVP. Um, I got Ryan Lee as mine just uh, for everything that he means to that offense in Colorado. Cause when he's not there, that it, it just doesn't seem to flow as right. But I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I now kind of on the challenge Rogers train with you because you're right. They've had injuries. They've had COVID. They've had guys stepping in the last minute. They've had their top guys out, their bottom end guys out. And one constant has been challenge Rogers and at both ends of the floor. I think that's a great selection. I, I, I really do hope he gets some serious contention when all is said and done. Uh, goalie of the year. Uh, I'll go first. I'm going to say Frank Shuliano. Um, We talked about everything that he's done this year. The five games that he's played, he's got a 7.4 goals against. He's given up four goals twice. Yes, he missed a couple games from COVID and two rookies stepped in and played absolutely outstanding. But there's no doubting that when Frank Shuliano is in between the pipes. He is arguably the best goaltender in the National Lacrosse League, and he shows it each time, every time, and he gets better and better and better. And he's got the COVID behind him. He's clear for six months. He doesn't have to worry. He's got a .810 save percentage, one of the tops in the National Lacrosse League for all starters. And there's no doubt that he's just going to continue to push this team to the promised land. And I think as much as Matt Vince has been outstanding and consistent, I think for the body of work in the short amount of time, Frank Chiliano gets my vote. I truly, truly have a hard time arguing against that. And I think you could even make a case for Matt Vince. I think there's three guys here that Mm -hmm. clearly could be odd. And the third one is Warren Hill. And I obviously get to see a lot of him. And I have given a ton of praise to him. I've given a a ton of praise to the defense for Halifax. But I wonder how much praise I'd actually give to the defense if it wasn't for Warren Hill. Because anytime they have any sort of lapse or when the defense maybe doesn't start out hot, Warren Hill just covers all those warts. Mm -hmm. Like he is so calm, cool, and collected in that cage. And he's an unbelievably fun goalie to watch. Yeah, he is. 
Like he'll make those easy angle saves. He's got great angles, but he also for a guy, his size, like at his stature, he's so flexible and so athletic. Um, And he's got a great stick. Like Mm -hmm. he's the whole complete package. Like I kind of wait, like wavered you over to Rogers. You're kind of leaning me towards Chiliano, but I'll stick with Hill here. But those three goaltenders that I list, any of them are definitely worthy. Uh, our next three rookie, or sorry, defender, rookie, and transition are all the same. Brad Cree for defender, Reed Bowering for rookie, and Mike Messenger for transition. You have been banging the Brad Cree drum for half a decade. Will <laughs> it be a crowning achievement and final vindication if he can pull us out and actually win defender of the year? It will be the greatest accomplishment of my entire lacrosse <laughs> career. Of your life. Playing, coaching, media, whatever it is. No, in all seriousness, though. And, I, I mean, I played against Brad Cree when he was with the Halton Hills Junior B Bulldogs winning a, a Founders Cup. Like, And he was a great defender there. He was a great defender when he played with Orangeville. But he has elevated his game. I would have never thought. I knew he was going to be an NLLer. But I would have never thought over the past couple of years what he's become. And you said it like it it hasn't just been this year. I think it's just because his numbers have completely jumped off the page. And there have been some key defenders out of this lineup um, for the Toronto Rock. So he's had to even carry a larger role. But this is the same thing that we've seen from from Cree over the past you know, three years. He's a takeaway machine. Um, You know, he's not taking faceoffs anymore, which I think helps. He's a loose ball machine. He's always checked against one of the top players on the other team. doesn't matter if they're a lefty or a righty, like he can defend on his wrong side. Um, And I think outside of Rubish, who's the one who, you know, really um, mastered this check, but the one hand slap check, like the rap check with how rangy he is, he has become so good at that. And that's where all his takeaways wrap up. And I still don't think he's getting the praise that he deserves. Like I think now people are realizing it, but I think it it has taken this long and I still don't know how many votes he will get Mm. for this award when all things are said. Do you you think like in years past, he may not have, like he may have been sort of the big name on that defense and still not getting the credit. Now that they have Noble, a former defender of the year, and Mitch Stu on that team, who is fourth in, in loose balls, who's second in forced turnovers, who's second in block shots. Like, I don't think Noble will get in the conversation this year just because he's just been pedestrian this year. But I think Mitch Desnu might take Brad Cree votes. I that's the one thing that does also concern me, especially from like the numbers standpoint. But just for me, Desnu, he I mean, they both play with with play with a, a ton of edge, but for for me, Desnu is he's good for one or two plays where he just gets a little bit too aggressive mm-hmm. and then gets beat on a backdoor cut or doesn't take an angle properly because he's playing so fierce. Whereas a guy like Cree, he is so athletic and so rangy. If he does get beat, he's so athletic he can get back. Um, and that's nitpicking there, but there's no reason why because I thought Desnu was tremendous last game and I think that's kind of what we expected him to be and maybe not even expect he's been even better but that is always a concern when you have multiple defenders that have taken away but look at Saskatchewan um 
Rubish has had some some great defenders by him. Maybe the one year uh, Dilks took one off him, yeah. uh, but he still had no problem racking up some yeah. some defender of the year yeah. awards. Very true. Very true. Um, Reed Bowering, it's probably a two horse race. It is a two horse race, pretty much, for rookie of the year between Reed Bowering and Jeff Teat. Uh, obviously, Teat missed those first couple of games, and Reed Bowering has just been a steady, consistent animal for the Vancouver Warriors all year long. I, I think it's his to lose. Um, as well as unless T like unless T can win the scoring title, like that's a lofty goal for a rookie. But you know when you look at the stats of where he is in overall scoring, he's not far off from being. Uh, he's what he's seventh right now. He's got forty three points. He's twelve behind Lyle, and he's played three less games than Lyle. So. Points per game wise, he could probably do it. Maybe not. Maybe because he's running out of games, may not. But when you look at what Reed Bowering is doing for the Vancouver's, you could even throw him as their MVP right now, as good as mm-hmm. Bouquet and Jones have been doing. But he is second in the National Cross League in loose balls, only behind Trevor Baptiste. He's played more games and takes faceoffs. Uh, he is the anchor of their defense. He's the anchor of their transition. He finds the biggest matchups. He creates the biggest uh, anarchy in the back end for offenses. And it's just been a really nice surprise to not be surprised at how good the kid really is. I've said it multiple times. I haven't been able to see him as much as, some of you guys out West have, but I have seen glimpses of him and I, uh, you know, on the big stages, I've, I have been treated to see him mm-hmm. and I knew he was going to be a great player. Every time now I watch him, I'm blown away. Like the guy is averaging 12 and a half loose <laughs> ball per game. Like that is ridiculous. Yeah. Every time you turn on the TV, you put them on, He's, he's the one who's either picking up the loose ball or he's around. Like, he just has that knack for loose balls. But it's so much more than that. You went on. Like, I, I don't need to to go on too much more. Like, we you, you said it perfectly. But the thing for me is I, I gave him the vote because as of right now, I think there is no reason you can't give him the rookie of the year. I just think by the end of the season, like you said, I think Jeff T might be able to rack up enough points that – his his numbers will blow off the page, but for yeah. the Warriors, they're looking like they are a team that could be in the playoffs. And I know you're not supposed to take any of that into consideration, but if a rookie is able to be one of the best players, if not the best player on the team, and get them into the postseason, yeah, does that maybe carry a little more merit? I think it should. I but with that should. being said. I just think that Jeff Teat is by the when it's all said and done, he's probably gonna have the most points per game. He's probably gonna be near the top, and he could have some of the best rookie numbers that we've seen in a very long time. So it's gonna be hard. And I think if they God does come down out of that, my vote might change. Mm-hmm. But man, it is refreshing to see a rookie on the defensive side of things really blow people away. Uh, you could probably throw Mike Messenger in the category for MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and Transition Player of the Year. We've got them both as our Transition Player of the Year. Uh, we talked to Kinger about, will this be the year that Zach Courier gets it? Um, I, I think Messenger might have a lot to say about that. But unfortunately, 
I think that train might have lost some of its forward momentum for Messenger with the struggles that the rush are having. Yes, he does a lot for them. And yes, he can play both sides of the ball. But when you're asking him to play a semi-regular O-shift, you take away from his strengths of being that impact player out the back end. A hundred percent. And I agree. And, and the way they also utilize him on the offense, mm-hmm. he isn't a challenge Rogers where he plays offense and they're saying like, yeah, child, you can take it to the net. Like, yeah, you know, you're feeding cross floor for backdoor creases to Zach man's like, they're basically telling him, Hey, drive a Mack truck through the middle of the floor <laughs> and just clear out space for guys, which he does. And he does yeah. a great job. But when he does get in the, if he does get the ball in the middle, he does have some finish to score. Absolutely. But with that being said, he's, that's not his role. And he's not going to rack up the numbers. His cause turner numbers are going to go down. His loose ball numbers will probably still be very high. Yeah. Um, and that's going to get lost. And I totally agree with you. And that's why I almost changed my pick. To Zach Courier or Challen Rogers, but because of how good he started at the at the start of the year, and this is a mid season, mm-hmm. I had to give it to him because what we were seeing at the start, he was ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely, completely agree. Um, head coach, we kind of differ one East, one West. No surprise there. I've got Patrick Merrill of the San Diego Seals. You got Micah Kersey of the Halifax Thunderbirds. Uh, we'll wax poetic about Merrill as the GM of the year, but why do you like a Kersey for head coach? For me, I think it's just the fact that he's been able to get so much out of a lot of these guys with guys coming in and out of the lineup. And, and a, a part of me as well thinks that he, he should have maybe won coach of the year last year. That's who I would have voted for. So maybe a part of it is a, a, a collective over the last two half seasons that we've seen, but mm-hmm. he's been able to keep this team afloat, you know, on and off the floor with guys being injured guys going off due to COVID um, some unexpected names coming into the lineup um, coaching in a different building. Um, there's been a lot thrown at this Halifax team and yes, they only have one loss, but I don't know if we've really seen the best lacrosse out of this, this team yet. And I think he, that's his message to this team saying Mm -hmm. we have a great record, but we're so much better than this. And I think the way that he's coaching this team right now, um, he knows that there is a a finished product and they're not even close to seeing that. So I like the Merrill pick as well too, because he has had to deal with a lot of the same issues with guys coming in and out of the lineup and have to get creative that way. Um, But occurs just a little bit of a slight edge for me. Um, Are we selling John Tavares short? Yes, absolutely. We are. I, and I, I actually, you go tell me why you think, and I, it might be the same reason. Well, he has the best team in the national cross league. He has the best offense in the national cross league that just is playing so unselfishly with all of the talent on that group. Uh, he's got a defense that's playing just incredibly team oriented style and they, they have, the finest wine in between the pipes. I just think that this is a team that is producing on all cylinders. They just lost their first game in a tough back and forth matchup. I just think, you know, you would throw Merrill, Kersey and Tavares in there, but the fact that we didn't really talk about JT, I just kind of feel like we're selling them a bit short. And I agree. I totally agree. And shame on me, shame on you not for bringing that up. And, 
I think maybe a lot of the people, maybe I fell into this is just, you look at that offense and you say, well, of course they're going to score goals, but I think it actually takes a good coach to coach all of that offense. Mm -hmm. Like what was the storyline at the start of the year when they, you know, they, they draft Toga, they draft, um, or sorry, they trade for fields. They bring up, uh, Bucky from a couple seasons ago in that trade or they signed him. Sorry. Yeah. Now all of a sudden it's like, there's only one ball. Like, how is this offense going to work? Everyone's going to want their own, like their own shot. He's made it work. Yeah. And it's because he commands so much respect. The players respect what he has to say. And he's a very collaborative coach. He's not just saying, here's what's going to happen. He goes into the room and says, okay, here's what I'm seeing. Does like, what are you guys seeing out there? Has this worked for you? You know, mm-hmm. and, and he, it's a collaborative effort. And when you have that many personalities, and you have that many mouths to feed, it, it, it has to come from a good coach. And I think that's why we're underselling it because we just see the names on the floor and say, he can just tell them, go out yeah. there and, and free wheel. Where in reality, it it's takes good. a good coach to, to rein those Tigers in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, GM of the year, we both have selected Patrick Merrill uh, with the juggling of goaltenders, you know, using Chris O'Riglieri and having Moose Winery back up. And the next week, bringing in Justin Getty, having those guys win the trade for Dane Doby, uh, you know, uh, the acquisitions of trade or in the draft of Trey LeClaire and Matt O'Keefe, getting somehow finding uh, a magic potion to get Austin Stotts back in the lineup. <laughs> he has just done an incredible job with this group. And I'm continually on the train that it is a, win it all for Brody kind of year for this organization and past doing everything he can for his brother, not solely for his brother, obviously for the collective group of this organization, but he really has his finger on the pulse of what this team needs, how they need to go about their things and they're getting the job done in incredible fashion. And I think he is going to get his just deserves for all the work that he's done behind the scenes, not just on the bench. 110%. And you brought up a very good point. Usually we see GMs win the award in the off season, like, Mm -hmm. and it's based on how they did bringing in certain players, their drafting. Rarely does a GM win based off what they've done during the season, never mind in the first quarter of the season. Um, You mentioned it with the goaltenders, like having to deal all with that. Like, I think this out of all the picks I made, Maybe with the exception of the Cree, this was the top. This was the easiest one I had. Yeah, like I agree. hands down. Like he would have to trade away Brody Merrill. <laughs> he would have to trade his brother. Yeah, for for a, a bag of balls for him to lose this award for me. Honestly, honestly. <laughs> All right, those are our midseason awards. Let us know what you think. Um, obviously, we are uh, hashtag experts, so um, they're pretty much all written in pen since the league and the engravings being done for the year and awards anyway. So no big deal, um, <laughs> but let's try and make it a big deal and winning some money. We've been struggling the last few weeks, but we think we've got a winner. Time now for box bets, your source for all the lines, odds and props across the NLL brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool. Bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> All right, Patty, our super boosted parlay didn't flush out last week. We almost got there. 
We had 18 goals from the, the wings Thunderbirds game. We need a few more points from Stafford and Joey Burrows, but uh, alas, it didn't pull through. Uh, we need to get back on track and we've got three good ones this week. Yeah, it's been tough. It's been very tough. Um, I, as I mentioned before, the box bets on lacrosseflash.com has been pretty successful, although last week wasn't great. I think it was my first losing week. Um, but with that being said, we're we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. Like we're we're gonna make it easy. We're taking a friend of mine, JD Bunkus from the fan 590 here in Toronto, his cowards parlay we're gonna take a page out of him and we're gonna put three games together and maybe it's a little bit cowardly maybe we're not really going out on a limb and maybe it's not the best odds that we've thrown out there but because the fine folks at cool bet have said they will boost the odds for us this parlay looks so so good to me teddy should i should i hit it should i let them know hit him with All right, Calgary, plus two and a half against the Vancouver Warriors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Halifax, plus one and a half against Georgia. So now you're wondering, whoa, 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 one and a half. Are they not not favorites? Yes, they are, but we're taking them on the alternate spread. Love that. And then Colorado, plus two and a half against Saskatchewan on Sunday, all of that put together plus 215. I believe it was 170, but all that put together plus 215. So we're getting a little creative. We're getting a little cowardly, but when you need a win, you just go back to the basics, go Mm -hmm. back to the drawing board and get it done. Um, A little side bet if if you want to, an interesting one is that Albany is a plus 150 on the second game against Toronto. So if you think the old NLL cliche of teams playing second game on back-to-backs tend to win, I want to hedge your bets that way is the Wolves are a bit of a dog against the Rock, but plus 150, not a bad little slice. We already talked about how good Albany is at home. Are we maybe starting to realize how difficult of a travel day that is for these players. And that's why teams are coming out flat because Albany is not the easiest place in the world to get to. No, it's not. There's not a lot of direct flights going to Albany. Usually teams are bussing from Toronto or bussing from Buffalo or bussing from Hartford. So yeah, it definitely, uh, we don't want to mush the firewolves (laughs) again, but uh, they're pretty decent at home, but we also have some new um, championship odds, Pat. Yes, again, obviously you had a feeling with Buffalo taking a loss, and yeah, it's only one that the favorite would be a new face, and it's kind of a new face, but Halifax regaining their place at the top at plus 270 to win the NLL Cup, but the Buffalo Bandits not far behind, only dropping down to plus 280. The Toronto Rock up to plus 450 alongside that is the San Diego Seals at plus 450. We won't get into too much, but that's a, those four there are, you know, pretty close. The very next is still the books. I tell you, man, they believe in the rush or they're afraid the rush can turn things around. Uh, Cause there are plus 1150 
uh, to win. So they're the very next ones, Colorado next at 13 to one. So a lot of value with some of those teams, but those top four teams, clearly the books like those four teams to hoist the NLL cup at the end of the year. Uh, of course, if you want to get in on all the action, head over to coolbet.com. Hit that little button up in the right-hand corner. When you make your first bet, if it is your first bet with Coolbet, we will match it, or they will match it, up to $200. So use the code OTCB. Get in on the fun. And as we always say, stay cool. Bet responsibly. That is the line. All right, we uh, are running out of time here, but a couple of things we want to get uh, out of the way. The Premier Lacrosse announced their Pro Lacrosse Hall of Fame. Don't get me started on the name. However, there are <laughs> an absolute ton of legends going into their first class, starting out the front door. Uh, former teammate of mine, Casey Powell. Former teammate of mine, John Grant Jr. And attackman, Mark Millen. Uh, Gary Gate, former still idol of mine, uh, Gary Gate, Jay Jalbert, Matt Strebel uh, out the midfield, Pat McCabe, another former teammate of mine, John Gagliardi and Nicky Polanco on defense, Brian Doherty uh, in goal, and Paul Cantabine is your specialist. Uh, thoughts on the first PLL Hall of Fame? I thought they nailed it. Like, I think mm. every single one of these guys, well deserving, all of them legends in their own right, of course. You already mentioned it, um, you know, Gary Gate, uh, Jr. If you're Canadian, you lean towards those two guys a little more. But CP22, obviously, as well. Um, a very well-deserving class. I do agree with you. It's a little bit annoying with the way that they word the Hall of Fame. But it is what it is. Let's not allow that little thing to take away this special moment for these legends of the game. Uh, college lacrosse is in full swing. Check out our boy Ryan's podcast, the GLE podcast over on the lacrosse flash podcast network for all of your college updates. Um, unfortunately, Mercyhurst fell to Wingate over the weekend. So a tough start for the old lake show, but it's awesome to see the young men balling out, uh, throughout the entire NCAA. It's great, man. Like I, I tell you, I, it's great that, the NLL is on TV and we can't get too selfish or greedy, but I would love to see a little more NCAA yeah. here up North of the border. Cause there's so many Canadians down South mm -hmm. right now. Agreed. There's like, gotta be, be awesome. there's gotta be an easier way for us to watch games other yeah, than getting a VPN and all that stuff. But um, yeah. calls across in full swing again, GLE podcast on lacrosse flash podcast network is where you can keep up to date on everything in the college ranks, the WLA draft was last week. Langley and New West, my goodness, they are going all in, especially the Langley Thunder, who have the likes of Curtis Dixon, Dane Doby, Trey LeClaire, Frank Shuliano. Um, It goes on and on and on. And then they decided to just start throwing names around and sending picks everywhere. Uh, Sam Bell has got Eli Gobrecht for a first round pick in 2022 and 2025. The Lakers get Tyler Pace, Harrison Smith, Nash Moog, and a second pick in 2023. And the Thunder get, oh, just Robert Church and Matt Beers. No big deal. <laughs> uh, maybe the strangest trade on the night uh, was the Lakers receiving Mark Yingling, who was the Timberman's pick in the, uh, the compensatory round. Uh, 
Um, the T-Men get a first-round pick in 2022, a second-round pick in 2022. So they got two picks in this year's draft. But they also got Callum Crawford. And when that pick came through, it didn't take long for Callum Crawford to text me and say, um, what? What? Why? <laughs> what? I think his direct words were, why are people throwing my name in on trades? He li- Currently, he lives in Oklahoma. He hasn't been out West playing lacrosse in a decade. I, it just, I don't know. It, it didn't make sense to me. It was just like, maybe here we'll slip this in. We'll get him off our books and we'll give him to you. But that was the craziest maybe trade of the night. But uh, you can go to draft.wlalacrosse.com for all the information. Uh, the schedule has come out. I think they start uh, late April, early May or mid-May. Actually, I think it is mid to late May is actually when the season starts. But uh, great job by Brad and Jake on the broadcast. Those are never easy, especially when it's virtual, even more so when there hasn't really been a season in a couple of seasons. So um, shout out to those two lads for doing an absolutely fantastic job, because as we all know, drafts are no fun. Um, For all of you stat nerds um, and math people, and those of you that just like to comb through stats, there are a couple of new sites you may want to be checking out in the near future. Obviously, we talked to Adam Levy a couple of weeks ago about the Lacrosse Matrix podcast. Well, Cooper Perkins, the voice of the San Diego Seals, has started laxmetrics.com. It kind of dives deeper into some of the work that Ty Merrow has been doing on just looking at some of the numbers uh, inside the numbers. Um this is all like reading German and Swahili all at one time <laughs> when I go through this stuff. But as I kind of dive deeper, it's pretty interesting to see some of these stats come to the National Crossing and how it relates to how players play. And the great thing that I, I like about this website and same thing, like I, I am not a numbers guy. I'm not saying that I don't, necessarily I know I'm not like an old school guy I test like I just I know that there's a place for it I just don't fully understand everything um but the the really good thing about this website is they have like a legend and Cooper's done a great job explaining what each stat means and even gives you know videos and examples of certain plays so you can understand them it's not just you log on and it has a bunch of numbers and letters and you got to figure it out on your own yeah like it, it does a really good job explaining how to understand them and how to digest it so definitely something that you have to put some time aside to dive in deep and and go through some things but uh, i know we talked about it it's only a matter of time until we see more stuff like this um, and I think it, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of the stats movement in the National Lacrosse League. Cooper Perkins will join us on the show next week uh, right here on OTCB just to talk about his passion project, how long it took, how sore his eyeballs are, and how in-depth he plans to go. Um, everyone knows Graham Perro and the work that he does on social media with uh, NLL Lax Facts of the Day and, and keeping tabs on some of the the crazy nuances in the National Cross League over time. Um, he's putting together a NLL scoregami, and I hadn't really seen a scoregami before. I didn't really know what it was. Um, but essentially, it's a graph system that plots every score that's ever happened in the National Cross League, I think dating back 
2005. I can't remember how far back he goes, but essentially he breaks down every score that's ever happened and how many times it's happened. It's happened once, five times, less than 10, less than 20 kind of thing. And it's really interesting to see sort of the sweet spot of where national cross league scores are. Um, NLLscoregami.com will be the site. It's not officially launched quite yet, but in, in just kind of looking at what he's done, um, it's pretty fascinating to see that, you know, the, the hot scores that have had happened a hundred times or more are 13, 12 and 12, 11. Those two scores have happened a hundred times or more. That's, that is, I would, Again, not a numbers guy, so I, I wouldn't have been able to really throw anything out like that. But the, like, that's that's something that I probably would have never thought of. But Scorigami, like, I think it's really it really gained its um, popularity with the NFL, and I think yeah. obviously it's a little more common because the score is higher. You're dealing with different, you know. A, a field goal is three points, a, a safety is two, yeah. uh, a touchdown, you know, point attempt after two point conversion. So there's more variables, but because lacrosse is such a high scoring game, sometimes, sometimes you see some lower scores. I'd be interesting to see um, what Grand Perro uh, put together for this. And uh, he's done some great work before when it comes to stats, but also don't sleep on his NLL pronunciation guide. <laughs> yes. Because that is a broadcaster's, uh, Bible, if you yeah, will. So 100%. even if you're just a fan, um, yeah. definitely check that out because uh, he puts a ton, a ton of work into that as well. Uh, just for reference sake, the last NLL score Agami that happened was March 7th, 2020, when San Diego beat Rochester 19-6. That was the first time in his data that the final score was ever 19-6. to Interesting. Yeah. So uh, NLLscoregami.com will be up uh, in a matter of weeks, months. I'm not sure when he plans to launch it, but laxmetrics.com is Cooper Perkins, baby, and that is up and running. Uh, and one final thing, Patty, unless you got anything else to say, uh, before last week's game in Calgary between the Mammoth and the Roughnecks, a few of the Flames uh, took to the turf uh, and picked up some sticks and were, were firing the rock around. And it's it always – it surprises people when they see lacrosse guys or hockey guys pick up a stick and can actually throw a ball when a lot of athletes pick up a stick and they look like 50 cent throwing a baseball. They just can't figure out the mechanics of it. Um, Nick Ritchie and Sean Monahan had no issues. Yeah. Well, I mean, those, those guys have, have played have lacrosse played. before. That's, right? yeah, like they, they have the played. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, both of them were, were pretty good lacrosse players at that. And yeah. I think if their national hockey league careers didn't work out, they probably would be able to, uh, you know, try their hand at the national lacrosse league um, when they had to choose. But um, it just goes to show you, Teddy, like, if you are trying to pursue, um, you know, a career in another sport, um, don't be afraid just to go all in in that. Uh, don't, sorry, don't be afraid to diverse yourself and play mm -hmm. a different few sports. Don't just go all in on that one sport because you look at a lot of guys in the National Lacrosse League that have played lacrosse, that have played other sports as well, too. Um, 
and it's helped their development. It helps you stay hungry with that game as well. That's the one thing I tell the kids that I play that, you know, they ask, should I be playing in the winter? Sure. That, that helps, but like, don't out lacrosse yourself. Don't burn yourself out from the game. Like you want to be passionate and fiery when you put that stick away or you put that, that equipment away, you want to have that hunger for when the summer starts rolling around. And once you lose that, that's, that's, that's a tough thing. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I just, it always, it always is funny to me when, when things like that happen. But with that being said, um, it's still, it's not like they've, they're playing in the summer. Like it's probably been a while since they picked up yeah. the Twix. But still, it's like riding a bike. Like Nick Ritchie picked up that thing and he was, he was going board to board with a pass and scooping up loose balls and ripping shots and that. Like once you get, once you've got a stick that's, that's, that you feel comfortable with, it's, it's no big deal. It's, it, it's like riding exactly. a bike. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, by the way, it was, it was, it was awesome. To see. It was Brett Ritchie, by the way, Brett Ritchie, um, Nick Ritchie. Yes. Isn't he, doesn't he have a brother named Nick Ritchie? Yes. Is Nick Ritchie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, no. Both of them did play. Um, they're both brothers played for Orangeville. Mm-hmm. Um, Sean Monahan played for Brampton. Correct me. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I'm pretty sure Tyler Ennis played on the same minor team as Monahan in Brampton. Oh. Um, I don't know how long Ennis played for, but I'm pretty sure the NBA, the former NBA player, Tyler Ennis played on that team. There might've been a couple other athletes. I don't know, but I know those two guys for sure played some ball with the Excelsior. So pretty impressive. It was an awesome sight to see all those guys. Uh, and whenever it happens, you know, we've seen Sidney Crosby do it before. Uh, we've seen the Sedins, uh, when the Canucks met up with, the. Uh, the Vancouver team, I think they might have been when they were in Langley at a, at a game in the NLL somewhere in the States, got them out. So uh, it's awesome to see when things like that happen and just athletes being athletes having some fun uh, when they got some time away from the main sport. Uh, that'll do it for this week's show. Don't forget nllshop.com and fanatics.ca for all of your certified national across the gear. You can find the show on Instagram, OTCB podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at OTCB underscore podcast. He is at P Greggy. I am at Teddy Jenner. And this has been another edition of the off the crossbar podcast. Thanks to you. Thanks to Jesse King for giving us some time. We hope you enjoyed another week of the show. We'll talk to you in seven days. Enjoy the game, stay safe, and as always, be excellent to each other.